I'm Joel Harder. Drew, good to see you, my Joel. friend, as always. Yes, sir. Today, Drew, what we're going to talk about is something that really we've often made reference to, talked about before. It's made its way into different conversations we've had along the way. But we wanted to take really a full episode and tackle this idea of a right relationship with technology. We've entitled this Healthy Tech. And we recognize that with the development of new technologies, with the advancement of them and rolling them out to market, things change. It's kind of a fluid environment. Something can get developed and have a specific purpose in mind. And then as it actually begins to roll out into its intended market and even expand globally to a larger market, the usage can change. The ways that it's used isn't necessarily always in line with what it was intended for. And there are certainly very positive purposes and intent behind technology that gets designed in the eyes and minds of the developers. They have problems that they're trying to solve, solutions to areas where technology can help us to be better, live better, work better. Uh, but then it's really up to us how we use it. And sometimes we right. lean into these technologies and they are extremely helpful and used very well. But we can use them in ways that aren't as helpful and the consequences can be even very devastating sometimes to a person, uh, to a yeah. family, to a society. So we'll just caveat right. and say when we l launch into this conversation, we're not passing judgment or making any sort of broad sweeping declaration or summary statement about the development and intent behind them. We may speak to some of the development intent behind them, but we want to talk about as a user of these different technologies, how can we think better about a right relationship? We're talking very much everyday tech, the things that we're all interacting with. Uh, so not necessarily getting into the nuts and bolts of automation and machine learning and things that are really designed for enterprise level application to change an industry or company. But as I've often said, when you're sitting on your couch with your phone in <laughs> right. front of you, that kind of technology right. that we're all using every yep. day. So Drew, exactly. we're going we're gonna to hit a couple different of these everyday tech tools and we're going to kind of go yeah. rapid fire and look at them in different ways. But what we want to start with is gaming. The whole concept yeah. of the gaming industry, technology, and how we're interacting with it. So what yeah. is a right relationship with video games, computer-based yeah. or console-based games? To your point, we have to look at it from the standpoint of what the intent of video games was when they were designed and, and, and still is. And it's entertainment, in my opinion. And I've talked with a lot of people in this space and sector, and it is, it's entertainment. It, there, now there are communities that are built around that entertainment, right? Obviously, gaming is an entire subculture 
in and of itself that is pretty amazing in terms of how developed that culture is. But at its core, it's entertainment. And when we're talking about right relationships with tech, and especially with gaming, I think it's really important to keep that in mind, that the intent behind it is to entertain. I think that as we go through these different segments, it's it's important to keep in mind that there are really positive uses and applications of this tech. And it's not ju- it's it, not just you know, wasting time either. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like I mean, I can remember as I'm sure you can and most people to some degree, you know, will have stories about, you know, whether it was, you know, as a family you played Super Mario back in the day on the original Nintendo or buddies in college playing Halo and things like, you know, so there are positive experiences around that entertainment. It's not just a, I'm going to sit in front of the TV and and veg out for a day and, and lose track of my life, right? It's, there are positives to all of that. And I think that it's important to, as you keep that in mind, and when we talk about what a right relationship with it, it is managing and maintaining boundaries around its use, just like with anything else. In my professional career past uh, as a therapist, there were you know, one of my focuses of specialty were teens and adolescents. And oftentimes families that would bring teenagers to see me and they had concerns around the addiction or the possible addiction that their their child had developed to video games. And I'm not, again, to your point, we're not we're not being pejorative toward video games and people can get addicted to anything. And most of the time, my experience was that there weren't a lot of clear boundaries around when, where, how, and what the child could access and participate in from the standpoint of of video games. And so in my opinion, what a right relationship with games, video games, whether it's computer or console or others, I mean, there's, there's also mobile games, right? I mean, I think about the, the, the segments of population that were addicted to candy crush and maybe still are right. Um, countless hours of sleep that were lost over that, but it's about candy from it. I know. Right. right. Exactly. (laughs) Worst thing of games is false advertising. That's right. I wanted my Kit Kat bar. But it's important to keep those boundaries. And especially whether it's an individual that's gaming, and especially if you're a parent, there's a duality to the navigation of gaming from a right relationship standpoint. Because a lot of us, especially our generation, we grew up gaming. And most of it was casual, right? This very in-depth culture of gaming while it started back in the 80s and 90s, it really wasn't as developed as it is now. It was, hey, I got my my Nintendo or my Sega or whatever, and hey, you want to come over and play for a little while kind of thing. But our parents didn't game, right? I, like I can remember having, like my dad would want to play like baseball on, in, on, on Nintendo, and it took me 30 minutes to explain the game to him and the rules and how to play and the controls and all that stuff. Well, we grew up gaming, and so... Now our kids are gaming and a lot of, and some of us still do, some of us don't, you know, it just depends on how your life is fleshed out or, or whatever, but you have to maintain the boundaries for yourself and it's important to maintain consistency and boundaries for, you know, if you're a parent whose kid is of gaming age and that's another we could have a whole episode on determining what the appropriate age for allowing your kids to play video games is. But in my opinion, a right relationship with gaming is establishing 
and maintaining healthy boundaries so that it's not negatively impacting the other things in your life that you need and want to do. Right. It's like anything that we add to our lives is it gives it gives us an opportunity for self-assessment, self-reflection to yep. understand how to manage our own lives in healthy ways. And the advent of gaming, you've already talked about the difference in the generations and the ubiquitous and way in which it's just enmeshed in our generation versus others create mm -hmm. different types of relationships with it. And so no matter what it is you're adding or your level of familiarity and adoption of it, it's an opportunity for self-reflection, self-assessment to make sure that you are leading, living the life that you really want to yeah. live. Uh, there's Absolutely. a, at its heart, you, you said entertainment, there's philosophically, there's this concept of leisure that leisure is yep. a very important part of human flourishing. And I, I can't remember the philosopher who really described true full human flourishing is when your leisure time and your commitment to leisure is so productive and both beneficial to you and to your interests in your life that it truly is leisure, but you are actually benefiting yourself and society along the way. And and I can't right. remember which philosopher said that, but it, they kind of held it up it's as very virtue. Seneca, but we'll just yeah, yeah. let it and be. So, but, so real quick, let's just do kind of a quick rundown because we're talking about when you think of what's come out of the positives that have come out of gaming, uh, it's not just the opportunity for entertainment, leisure, uh, but there are social benefits and positives. You and I met in college. We met we were both in a fraternity together and uh, man, the halo tournaments back when we kind of <laughs> thought we thought we were clever and figured out how to, how to bridge different consoles together. And we'd have people in the right. rooms in a house and we were having a massive halo yep. tournament. And, but you know, the, yep. the relationships that were formed and memories that were formed yeah. there, but then uh, the other side of that is uh, we won't name names, but we have a, a friend who was in our, our fraternity, I think it was when halo three came out. Um, and, and we were at that point, there was actually internet cloud-based gaming. So people were in different places and his avatar right. just stopped moving at one point. And somebody said, would somebody go check on so-and-so? And he had right. actually been playing, I think 27, 28 hours straight and just yeah. truly just fell asleep while playing yeah. <laughs> his avatar just stopped. So I thought you were going to talk about where he wrapped his controller around the power oh, line no, outside that, Joe's yeah, house because he got so mad. That was that's another situation, but we'll let yeah. that go. Uh, I forgot about that till you said it, but you know, so there's <clears throat> obviously to your point, maintain balance, maintain boundaries, have a yeah. right to, but talk about some of the benefits that come out of it. Art has come out of it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the ability for Creativity. the idea of, of design and yeah. a whole careers and industry has emerged. So, Absolutely. Uh, so professional development, economic development, commerce uh, there's so many benefits that have come out of gaming yeah. itself oh, there's a there's a whole sub economy that's come out of it you know you've got 14 15 16 year old kids that that are running a business right of, of the, and it's themselves you know that that they're learning how to to market themselves market their skills in a really meaningful way and allow them to explore that and, and develop that entrepreneurial skill at a very young age, doing something they enjoy. Yeah, and, and I can't have this conversation. It always comes to my mind when I'm talking about this is that old far side cartoon 
of the mm-hmm. kid sitting in front of a TV playing a video game and the parents are standing back with a thought bubble and it's like a newspaper right. you know, wanted ads and it's, can you yeah. save the princess? $65,000 a year. <laughs> anyway, right. and so, it, but it's yep. funny. What makes it funny is it's come true. It, it is. Absolutely it is has. So yeah. it, in setting boundaries, and we'll talk a little bit in one of our next segments also about age appropriate use of technology, but certainly content because with yeah, with any form for sure. of art you get into this concept of free speech and artistic expression yeah. and there is some art and there are some games that are simply age appropriate at different levels and so being wise you can't be passive to hey my kids playing video games you do need to be aware of the content and the type of games that they're able to play so these are some of the positives some of the pitfalls and snares taking it one step further and then we'll move on drew is there is also a soft skill that is being very massively developed through the emergence of uh, multiplayer web-based games specifically and i remember the first time i ever heard this it was in the new leadership literacies by bob johansson who's a tech futurist he's been in the in the field for decades now, but he talks about the use of gamification in training, in mm-hmm. skills development, job training. And if anybody wonders, what are you talking about? A flight simulator. You know, so we're, we've yeah. been using this stuff for a long time. It's, it's a video game to train and instill a skill that someone's going to use in their trade or in their field in a flight simulators, obviously for pilots. But that kind of gamification of job skill training is making its way into other arenas. And Bob Johansson talks about the soft skill of being able to form communication and relationships and to meet a group of people online that you don't know may live in a different continent and may not even speak the same language, but you're able to Uh, coalesce around a team, develop objectives and goals and accomplish objectives and goals. And that whole concept of collaboration, work, development of those kinds of uh, abilities at a very rapid rate. He even says at some point we're going to see whatever your your world of Warcraft rating is will be something that you put on your resume. And I I don't even know what that rating is and how it'll be, but I imagine something like that will, will start, there'll start to be a standardized, I'm revealing my ignorance because I clearly don't do this. It Um, may may already be out there, but whatever that soft skill is called, uh, however you're rated on those different games, uh, maybe something you start adding to your resume. I remember when I read that, I was like, what is this guy talking about? But it's (laughs) it's certainly within the realm of possibility. So so gaming. Um, Yeah. Well, let's move on to another topic, and that is really the the concept of screen time in general. Uh, but let's yeah. let's start, I guess let's start with the easy lift and we can talk about screen time in terms of children. Uh, and there's okay. a lot of data and research out there that talks about this, a lot to draw upon. But if we're going to have a right relationship with tech and we're talking about screen time itself, what is the right relationship with technology in terms of screen time? Well, we're talking about kids and we're going to see this as a common theme when we talk about right relationship with technology. And the reality is it's, it's whenever you're talking about a right relationship with anything, 
it's all about boundaries and definition, right? Uh, there was a book written by, geez, I think it was Stephen Covey. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb that was called Boundaries. Um, I've sat through many leadership summits and it was referenced. So I should know that definitively, but I'm pretty sure it's Stephen Covey. Uh, we'll, if I, if I foobard that we can fix it in the show notes, but, um, the whole intent there is that anytime that you're, you know, with it, whether it's a work relationship or a friendship, or in this case, a relationship with technology, cause that's what we're talking about. Um, it's a relationship. It's all about how you define it, the boundaries you put around it. And I think for our kids, it's even more important that we have those boundaries because the reality is, I think you even need to further segregate it or break it up into, you know, smaller groups. Because when we talk about screen time for our kids, especially given the last two years, last 18 months, whatever, screen time took on a very different definition, right? Screen time in and of itself was how they did school. That was how they learned because all that e-learning is technically screen time because they're on a, whether it's an iPad or a Surface or a laptop or a Chromebook or whatever the, the, the device may be, that's how they were doing all their learning. So I think that it's important to delineate between educational screen time and again, you know, just entertainment screen time. But I think both of them need boundaries. For the educational piece, I'm not going to be so naive to believe that that's safer content, right? There are still bad actors out there that, you know, on some of these educational sites that will try to nefariously get in there and, you know, and potentially harm your children. But for the most part, I think it is safe to assume that the educational content that your kids are going to be accessing is safe, whether it's like ABC mouse or, you know, some of those things for younger kids, or as you're getting into older kids, like some of the coding Academy, those kinds of things, or even your, you know, I hope to God, your school's websites and the, you know, the e-learning stuff that your school districts or your schools are doing is safe. But when you're talking about the entertainment stuff, I think you as an individual, when you're talking about for your kids, you have to know what they're getting into. And you've got to be intelligent about how you're gating that and guarding that content to make sure that you know what your kid's looking at. Because when I'm talking about screen time for my kids, right, and we both have younger kids, I've got an eight-year-old and two, three-and-a-half-year-olds, almost four, and I'm still concerned about the volume of time that they're spending in front of a screen. And and we as a family have made a choice where we we put pretty stringent limits on our kids' screen time that's non-educational. But I'm more concerned with the content than I am the duration when we're talking about, you know, a right relationship with my kids. Because I don't, I'm very cautious about what I allow my kids to potentially be exposed to. Right. Yeah. So we're very mindful, discriminating about what types of content apps that we, you know, our kids have iPads. So we're very, you know, we're very cautious about what apps we do a lot of research before we install the apps and all. And we certainly don't let them access content outside of our presence. So I think for kids, it's the, it's those types of things. And then you've got to, again, it goes back to boundaries. You got to understand what works for your kid and how, you know, how long it's too long. And I think that you, there are some triggers or some key signs that maybe your kids don't have, you know, a right relationship with that screen time. I mean, for us, some telltale signs were when we would tell them like, Hey, your time's almost up. They start pitching a fit. Right. Right. You obviously have, you know, uh, and it's not like your kids 
terrible and you know <laughs> there's something horribly wrong it's just a sign that they're too engrossed in that that they can't pull themselves out and so maybe that's a sign that you need to start limiting the amount of time when they have access to screen time i think is really important and i am by no means a child psychologist and there are droves and droves and droves of research on this topic you know kids and screens and tech and all those things Unfortunately, a lot of it's not real positive research and some of the research that's out there and then our personal experience, we certainly don't let our kids have screens in the morning because we're getting ready for school and those kinds of things because all that does is just bog down the process. And, you know, we want our kids in the morning, We the focus, it's, it's all about what is the focus, right? right? It's when they get up in the morning, it, the focus is get ready for school, eat your breakfast, Make sure that you're in a mindset and a, and a mind frame of I'm going to go to school and I'm going to learn and it's going to be a positive day. Not, I don't want my kid, even if it's a learning game, I don't want my kid thinking about the game that they were just playing and maybe, you know, they, they didn't pass the round that they wanted to pass. And so now they've started their day off negatively, even though from my perspective, it's something very non-consequential, but for them, it's meaningful. And now they've started their day, you know, off on a, on a bad foot over a game. Yeah. Well, and anyone who is a parent understands the role that routine and schedules play Absolutely. in helping to establish a healthy mindset and approach and and just recognize that to your point screen time is a needs to not be something that is disruptive to the schedule but is a part of it and you've thought about how and when that will happen this summer we have some childcare help while we're working and when that childcare provider is done at the end of the day, we may still have about an hour or so of work to do. And so the girls get to watch shows while we kind of wrap up that stuff. And so that's built into, and it's known and expected, and they understand that that's when they get to do that. Um, yeah. And obviously when we're talking about screen time, there is a couple different considerations. Content itself is a consideration and not all content is created equally. And so we think differently right. about that, but there's just the impacts of looking at a screen itself. And there is still a yeah. lot of emerging research on how that affects neurological brain development. It's not just mental, emotional, but physiological implications right. of looking at a screen, the whole concept yep. of blue light that you're looking at. Um, yeah. Truly, it's about just having that balance of physical experiences, outdoor play, you know, when it comes to education right. itself, the educational content material can be excellent, but an important part of learning at various ages uh, developmentally is active play and, you know, yeah. manipulating things with your hands. And that's part of learning as well. And so you, you can't just say, oh, yeah. well, it's an educational program. So that's accomplishing that goal. So a couple of things, I'm looking at the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry and just some some of the recommendations that they look at developmentally until 18 months of age, screen time should really only be used for video chatting along with an adult with family member or parents out of town or a grandparent. That really should be the extent of what a child that young is experiencing between 18 months and two years old. Screen time should be limited to educational programming itself. And I, I do want to make a comment because not everybody learns the same way, but I have been a good example in my life uh, of people I know that what I learn through different forms of entertainment, storytelling, both intentionally educational or 
fictional storytelling that's also including true facts and events and history. That's a part of how I've absorbed and learned and become educated. So I don't think that it's appropriate to say, well, if it's just non-educational, quote unquote, entertainment based, there's no value. There can be immense value to it. We are obviously a narrative driven people and storytelling is an important part of the way we learn. Uh, For children two to five, limit non-educational screen time. And I will say that this recommendation seems maybe a little much for me, but as I read it, it's probably pretty right on with what we do. But uh, for children yeah. two to five, limit non-educational screen time to about an hour a day on weekdays and to three hours a day on weekend days. But then at that point, and this is the turn, and we've mentioned this, at that point, you know, six and up, it's really a matter of simply establishing healthy habits. Uh, that yeah, that you're having right. conversations about as a family, that you're building and instilling in everything we're talking about. So those are some recommendations right. on screen time uh, when it comes from a source beyond our expertise, the, yeah. the American <laughs> Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. Uh, you and I have talked about this before, especially our kids, you know, the way that they are going to grow up and understand and interact with technology is just different than the way we do. What is a distraction for us because we've adopted a technology? We don't know yet, but it may not be a quote unquote distraction for them. They'll be yeah, able to assimilate true. that information in a totally different way because it is part of how their brain is developed interacting with yeah. it. But, uh, but life is still one that is lived in the world. To me, that's probably the biggest indicator. When you are living in a false reality, when when your world is made up of a virtual environment, things that you value, placing emotional weight on things that are happening in a virtual space over the physical world, that's where you're running a skew of an appropriate relationship. You've been listening to the Digitally Connected Podcast with Joel Harder and Drew Noll. Make sure to check us out wherever you catch all your podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss any of our new content we'll be dropping regularly. If you enjoyed the content today, please give us that five-star review. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time.